I, I see a lot of life. I, I see a whole lot of life. I see the life of Jesus flowing through. I, I hear a phone ringing. Oh, Tim, you're the only one in the front row, so, you know, it's got to be you. Uh, well, can you believe somebody brings a phone to church? Carol, it's fine. Yeah, it's, we got to have a little fun with you, though. <laughs> uh, so good to see everybody. I thought of you last Sunday. Prayed for you last Sunday. Hallelujah. I didn't go on my trip to Vegas. I talked to Pastor Jerry and asked him for a postponement, so he postponed it a couple of months. And I went and played around for a little bit. <laughs> went down to Texas and saw my brother and his wife and spent a couple of three days with them. And um, he, um, He's doing, doing well. She's doing really well. Um, we used to have a family get-together every Thanksgiving. We haven't done that in a couple of years, so have, skipped two years, actually. So she's going to do it this November at Turkey Day, Thanksgiving time. She's a real young, 82. Has more energy than Energizer Bunny. Golly. I, uh, I hate to go sometimes because she just does everything. I'm going to take you out for one meal, for sure. Okay, you understand? Well, uh, no, no, we're going. <laughs> That's what it is. That's the way you have to be sometimes, you know. But they're awesome, and we praise God. And then uh, came back home for one night and then went to Branson, got to hear the Oak Ridge boys. Uh, so, uh, you know, they really make me feel good because the youngest one of them is older than I am. So, uh, And they're still out. They still have a heavy schedule. Uh, so it, it's really good to be able to. And they've got a new album that just came out. And so that's encouraging. Uh, I have to set my sights above 120 now. <laughs> Praise God. Well, good to see you and uh, give you a hug and uh, welcome me back. Thank you. <laughs> we have a special guest this morning. Some of you already know uh, this couple, but uh, super friends of mine. I just can't say enough about Rodney and Kresha. They're just awesome folks. Rodney and I get together about every other week and uh, have a a gourmet meal, you know, usually came from Brahms or Sonic or something. <laughs> but we pray over it, okay? <clears throat> and we talk about different things. They, they're the, the head of Eye to Eye Ministries. It's a marriage ministry here in Oklahoma City. So they do a lot of things with couples. And uh, it's always good to be able to take advantage of people like that that do something so well. They're planted in a local church. Uh, great church. I know their pastor well, and uh, <clears throat> getting to know uh, that that whole group. There's several people that I've met that are really awesome. So uh, that's that's really a cool thing. They used to meet in the basement down here. Remember, some of you? Okay. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with meeting in the basement. By the way, I've got somebody right now that wants it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody can't be spiritual at the same time, so <clears throat> <laughs> praise God. 
Now, Rodney is full of the Spirit. He's full of the Word. He's got one of those advanced degrees. So you're in for a real treat this morning. Would you give it up as you stand up, please, for Rodney Redis? Good morning, family. Good morning. Uh, this is a, a big treat for me, um, being here for so long in this building for so many years and, and just walking in the door and seeing all the family that I used to go to church, church with every Sunday. So um, you guys are really helping me out because, uh, as my wife knows very well, I don't like being the center of attention. So... Uh, unfortunately, God says, well, if, you, if I've got a word for you to give, uh, you have to be the center of attention. Therefore, I'm the center of attention. So, um, so I'm just going to take myself out of it. But again, I'm so happy to see family. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that, brother. Appreciate that greatly. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me... Um, I just want to tell you a little bit about me. I'm going to first start out by introducing my, my wonderful wife. She's my joy. She's my everything. I can't imagine life without her. She gets on my nerves, but I love her because she gets on my nerves. How about that? Because <laughs> if she wasn't here, I don't know what I would do with myself. It's almost as if uh, when I was single, I had it all figured out. Then I got married, and then I figured out that I didn't have anything figured out. So... <laughs> Uh, she's the brains of, of, the, of everything. So um, I, we, we tell couples often that when we um, do our Walk Together series, when we're basically talking to couples about how God started everything out, and the first man, he had a brain, he had everything he needed. Um, but when God took the rib, he took more than a rib. The Bible doesn't tell you that, but God actually took the biggest portion of his brain and gave it to the woman. So... Anyway, so I'm the bronze and she's the brains. <laughs> I love you, sweetheart, and I appreciate your support. Yeah. Uh, so we've been married for, well, it'll be 13 years next month. Um, we have a blended family, uh, four kids, and um, how many grandkids? Eleven. Eleven grandkids. They range in age from 16 to three, and they're all over the place. Uh, most of them are here in Oklahoma City. Um, like I said, I've been, we've been part of this church for, well, we were part of the, uh, the previous church for 25 years, um, and um, we're now at Church of Blaze, as Dan alluded to, Church of Blaze is, is our, and we have a congregation about the same size as this, but the people there are wonderful people, they're, um, they have, they're very connected people, they're very anointed people, so we're blessed to be in that, in that group. Um, because the majority of those people in that church are founders of the organization which Kresha and I now lead. Um, we were asked to lead the organization a few years ago, and, and uh, we are blessed by that. Um, as far as my advanced degree, uh, I, have a, I have a master's in ministry uh, from Oklahoma Christian with a, with a focus on marriage and family, so that's about as advanced as I want to go in school because that was enough for me. Um, but um, I, 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 do, I should mention that there was a Youth America College, and I was one of their adjunct professors. Um, so teaching is my gift, I guess you could say. It's, it's what, one of the giftings that God has given me. Easy. Um, so 
I am inclined to teach, so you may get some teaching here um, today. So uh, I, I won't holler at you. I will talk to you. So <laughs> just want to give you a fair warning. And like Dan said, um, we do meet on a regular basis. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I made the mistake of sharing what I felt God had showed me uh, about Jonah. And, and Dan just instantly said, why don't you just come to the church and preach that? I was like, oh, Dan, I'm, I, don't, I don't preach. I, I just teach and I just write stuff. And he says, no, no, I, I think you should teach it. So, so here I am. So thank you, Dan. So here I am. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... So I do. I want to ask a question uh, before I get into the message. A few things I want to say. Um, so the message is going to be about Jonah, okay? And um, you know, I'm an Old Testament guy. I love studying the Old Testament, and I'm the, one of those guys that's always asking questions: Why? Why this? Why that? Why is this necessary? Why do we need to know that? And because I do that, and because I. Um, I'm halfway smart enough to spend some time with the Lord. He often shows me why. And so I'm going to share God's answer to some of the questions that I had been asking about Jonah in particular. Okay. So when I say Jonah, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Just someone just say something. (laughs) The fish, the whale. I mean, um, that's that's it. That is that is basically what what comes to mind when you hear Jonah, and it's the same thing with me, my grandkids, when, when we would keep our grandkids at night, um, we would ask them, we have this little children's um, Bible study book, or uh, Bible story, and we would ask them which story they wanted, and they would literally dance and say, Jonah and the whale. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> so they love, they love the story of Jonah, but I just, I just want to dig a little deeper and share some things with you, what I believe God has been showing me about Jonah. So, so this book is, um, it takes place somewhere between 780 and 760 BC. And this is during the reign of, um, during this time there were two kingdoms, northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was, king was King Uzziah, and the northern kingdom was, his name was King um, Jerob, Jeroboam II, and that was the king of Israel. If you recall, Israel had 10 tribes. Judah had two tribes, and I think you can include the, the Levites. But they weren't a tribe. They were actually taking care of the temple. But again, it's one of those stories that if you're, if you're not caref- uh, careful, um, you could get stuck on the whale. The whole whale thing, it, it can, you can easily get stuck there. But the story is about much more than what happened with the whale. So if you would... Um, I want you to read with me and go to the book of Jonah. We're actually going to go through the entire book of Jonah. I promise you, I'm going to read through it pretty quickly when we get there. But if you return to Jonah 1, we're going to start with the first chapter of Jonah. All right. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness have come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. 
He paid the fare and went down into the, um, to go into them with them to Tarshish to the, from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship was about to be broken up. Yeah, there's another story that, from the New Testament that reminds me of this. Then the mariners, then the mariners um, were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, to his God, threw the cargo that was on the ship in the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us for what cause is this trouble upon us? For what is your occupation? Where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? Then he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They said to him, what shall we do that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing even more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great, excuse me, tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish from this, for this man's life and do not charge us. With, his in, with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as is what is pleasing to you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the, mere, the men feared God exceedingly, um, feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered sacrifices to the Lord and took vows. So basically, um, a, a huge change took place in their lives, and we'll get into that. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. Okay, so here we have Jonah, a man who was called to be a prophet, and he's disobeying God, and he's now out of his presence. Okay, but as we can see, God did not let him get away. Did not let him get away. So my first point is God chases after the best and the worst of us. God chases after the best and the worst of us. And he does this consistently throughout the Bible. So Jonah 1-2 says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That's Jonah 1-2. So God is seeing the wickedness of these people. You, you hear throughout the Bible, there's, there's, there's a wicked group of people. When God will see the wickedness, he won't act right away. But there's a certain point of time that God uh, gives us. He gives us grace. And he gives whatever people they are the, number, the amount of grace that he has for them. And then there comes a point in time and God says, okay, that's enough. But in this case, and probably in most cases, may, it may not always be written. But God says, I love these people. They don't know me. They could care less about me, but I love him. So I'm going to send my, my man to preach to them, to change their hearts. But these people were the, the Assyrian people, and the Assyrian people were the most ungodly, they were the most vicious, 
and brutal nation on the planet, and I, and I, I uh, can say that there probably has not been another nation as brutal as the Assyrians. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about um, these people. So I did some research on the Assyrian people, which essentially the Ninevites, the Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. So these people are pretty, pretty, uh, pretty ruthless. So the Assyrians were noted for their ruthless uh, brutality, their terrible atrocities they committed against their, their captives. They beheaded, they impaled their enemies alive on wooden poles. And the way they did that is it was, they would use the person's weight to slowly cause the person to go, it, the pole to go deeper into the person's body until they eventually, they bled out and died. And I, ah, it, it's, it's pretty bad. They skinned people alive. They burnt people alive. They disemboweled people. They tore out their tongues. They would bury their victims up to their necks, place a leather band through their tongue, and stretch it out so that the person could not swallow and they would bury them and leave them there in the desert to die. It is said that most people would go, nut, go crazy before they would pass away. And this is just a few of the things that they did. It was standard operating procedure for Assyrians to kill the men and the children, rape and take captive all the women of the city. The Assyrian armies traveled with their families. They traveled with their families. This is, this is the, this one really, really got me and were described as a plague of locusts. And as they descended upon the city, um, <clears throat> excuse me, history has it that entire cities would commit mass suicide rather than to fall into their sadistic hands. Okay, so, so now you have a picture of what God was asking um, Jonah to do, and now you may have a better understanding of why Jonah responded the way that he did. Uh, this is one of my questions. Why did he run? I mean, just do it, you know? And then when I did this research, I learned, okay, this makes sense why um, Jonah would do what he, what he did. So in Jonah's day, the Israelites were very well aware of this, this, this nation. They were always kind of, they were there all the, all the time, and they were always waiting for that same nation to come after them, which eventually we know that they did. Um, Nahum 3.19, you can write it down if you wish, but this is a very short thing. It says of the Ninevites, it says, Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from their continual cruelty? Okay, so continue to give you a picture of these people. So imagine again what went through Jonah's mind. I mean, pretty much the same thing that would go through my mind. Uh, I would would be thinking, there's just no way. There's just no way that that I would... Go. So God, you, okay, you're going to tell me to go? We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go. Okay, so what would you say? Seriously, what, what would you say and what would you do? Okay, so, so one of the other questions that I had um, as I was going through studying is why would God give such an evil group of people a chance to repent? Why would he give them a chance to repent if they've done all these atrocities and treated people so poorly? So if you would turn to Psalm 103, verse 8 through 10, here's at least one of the answers as to why. Psalm 103, verse 8 through 10. It says, Because the Lord is compassionate and merciful, he's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we desire. 
That's mercy. Our God is a merciful, loving God. Something that came out of this and that I never thought about before, and this has actually happened within the last week, that when God sends the prophet to a nation, to a people, a person, whatever the case may be, God is showing his love, his mercy, and his grace to whatever people he's sending that person to. I mean, I never really thought of it from that perspective, but that's what God is doing. But did Jonah know that God was merciful? Did he know that? Actually, he did. So Jonah 4, verse 2 says, I know that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Okay? So Jonah knew what these people could potentially do to him. Um, So no doubt that he was terrified because they were very evil. But like I said earlier, as soon as God was to tell me something like this, I'm thinking, okay, where can I go that God won't find me? Uh, I mean, where? Um, I'll just hide behind the bushes like Adam did, and hopefully he wouldn't be able to see me. But um, in Jonah's case, Jonah 1.3, it says, But Jonah got up and went, in, and went into the opposite direction, went away from the Lord. He went down into the port of Joppa where he found the ship leaving for Tarshish. He brought a ticket, and you, we know the rest of that, that particular story. So Tarshish, what I want to do is talk a little bit about, about this place called Tarshish. Tarshish is a, was a source of Solomon's wealth in, in, his, in uh, what we call precious metals. Um, there was gold, but he didn't get most of his gold from them. But he got his silver, his iron, and his lead from this nation called Tarshish. Uh, this can be found in Ezekiel 27, 12. thought this was very interesting. So where is it? Um, if you can get a picture, this is one of those times when I should have had a visual aid. But if you can imagine where Israel is and imagine where Spain is. Southern Spain, the southern tip of Spain is where this place is. Um, so that's 2,300 miles, people. <laughs> 2,300 miles, and it's going to be by, um, by sea. 15 days to be exact. Jonah was going to get on a ship and was going to go for 15 miles, um, by, uh, 15, excuse me, 15 days at sea. But something else that I want to uh, point out to you is the city of Joppa, the port that he was leaving from Israel to get to, to uh, Tarshish, is what we now call Tel Aviv. In Israel, it's called Tel Aviv today. Um, so imagine going from Charlotte, North Carolina to L.A., but, but all water with, with rows. They had sails too, but they did a lot of rowing in his day. That would be a long trip. But apparently Jonah thought, God's not gonna be, he's not going to be able to get me here. He's not going to be able to punish me. So I'll go far, far away. But as you read through the Bible, you do notice that each group of people has their own God. So... This God is in this land. This God is in this land. So maybe Jonah had that same mindset that God wouldn't be in this foreign land because God is the God of Israel. So anyway, I'm trying to put myself in his position and see what was he thinking. Okay. so next, if you would turn to um, we're just going to move to verse 10 and 12 and then 15 and 17. Just want to restate the the sailors were terrified when they heard uh, for. He had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since, and, uh, excuse me, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, he said, and it will become calm. The, and in verse 15, the sailors picked him up. They threw him into the sea, 
and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck, awestruck. Um, They were really impressed by what God did, and they made vows, obviously, and they wanted to serve him. So when I read this, I'm not particularly impressed with um, what the sailors did, okay? I think any of us, if we have seen what or experienced what they experienced, if we saw something like that, we would want to know, who's your God again? Because I want to worship your God. Because that's, that's the power and might of God. That, that would change anybody. So that, that's a sign, wonder, and miracle. We, I, I'll, I'll go with that. But Jonah, the thing that impressed me is the man who was running away from God gave his life up to save their lives. That was more impressive to me. That's what really stood out to me in, in that uh, particular scene. So what happens when he jumps into the sea? What happens? So, so this, this is where it gets really a, a bit interesting. So if you turn to Jonah chapter 2, Jonah chapter 2 is all about Jonah praying. And so the question, there's a question about uh, whether Jonah, where Jonah was while he was doing all this praying, other than in, in the belly of the well. So Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. He's talking about seaweed here. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. That's like the roots of the mountains. Um, The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up. You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you. For into your holy, into your holy temple, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah unto the jo- unto the dry land. That speaks loudly that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. So I do want to focus on something that he said because I've always been curious about whether or not Jonah actually died. You know, was he alive that whole time? Just, you know, because when we read to our grandkids, they just show Jonah's just chilling inside of that, that fish, you know. But I think it was a very different scene. You just heard his prayer, and it, it told a totally different story, in my opinion. Um, so... If you hear the word Sheol in the Old Testament, um, Sheol is not a place for the living. Okay, And Jonah said, out of the belly of Sheol, you heard my voice. And so um, when I read that, um, that he was in the grave or he was in that place of waiting. And I think the only thing that we can come up with in terms of the New Testament would be Abraham's bosom. I think that's kind of like the New Testament version of what that is. But Sheol is the place where the Israelites went. David talked about it a lot in Psalms. um, And that's where they knew that they would be until the last day when God would call everybody back to life. Um, 
So I just want to point out that he gave up his life for other people. Um, and this is very significant. So there's a, there's, a, there's a type and a shadow here that I think we need to see. So he gave up his life. His, he was dead. I believe that he actually died. The whale was his place, his grave. Okay, He was in the grave for three days. Okay, And when he was spit out of the whale, it was like, him being resurrected, okay? So if you think about that, that's kind of a type and shadow of what, what Jesus um, actually lived out himself. So this is what Jesus had to say about Jonah. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, and uh, verse 38 through 40. Matthew 12, 38 through 40. All right. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees told Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he replied to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves a sign. And he's talking to the Pharisees and the the Israelites. Yet no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because just as Jonah was in the stomach of the, of the sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So what Jonah did, the impact of what Jonah did, saved some lives. We know that those men's lives were saved. But in a sense, you can say that they were saved, not in the same way that we are, but they were saved because they actually started worshiping the one true God. Okay, so he got people saved. All right. But it was a sign of what the Messiah would eventually do, in which we know because it is written that Jesus did all these things himself. So, again, we're talking about a bloodthirsty people that Jonah was was going to go to those people to cause them to change their ways. So uh, my next point is that God's love for us. Is beyond our understanding. God's love for us is beyond our understanding. Okay, so um, when I was working on this, I started to try to think of some stories or something in the Bible that really um, made the point of, of how much God loves us and how much he wants to give each of us an opportunity to repent and, and turn back to him. Or if we've never been in, um, turn toward God, but actually to go that 180 degree turn and begin to serve God for the rest of his life of our lives. And um, I just decided to go to the very beginning, and I thought about Adam. And anytime you hear me say Adam, um, not to stir up anything, but when I say Adam, I'm not just talking about the male, because God said in the beginning He created him, male and female. He created them. Okay, so Adam was not just him. Adam was actually them. Okay, they were mankind. The two of them together were Adam, the male, the female. We talk about this with eye to eye. God has male attributes. He has female attributes. He is not one or the other. So I'm just going to throw that out there. But after the sin, um, God says, where are you? Oh. By the virtue of fact that he was asking, where are you? I think God was trying to 
touch his heart in such a way to stimulate something within them to say, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for we have sinned. We know the story. They didn't do that. Instead, they, there was blame. They, they did the blame game. I did it because she, she did this. And she said, I did it because of that serpent. Um, so God was trying to give them, give them an opportunity to repent. And even more interesting story is the story of Cain. You remember the story of Cain and Abel, the offering, and how one gave of the first fruit, and one gave of, uh, he just gave him God something. And uh, God wasn't happy with Cain's offering, so Cain was kind of downtrodden because of it, and God actually approached him. Cain was already in the wrong, and God approached him, and he tried to minister to Cain to, to cheer him up and tell him everything's going to be all right. Just do what, is, do what is right, and everything's going to be good. Um, and he reminded Cain that the sin that is with him is crouching at the door. And he says that you have to subdue that sin. Um, but we know that story, once again, unfortunately, just like us, <clears throat> we don't always obey God. And Cain eventually killed his brother. And God, God in his patience and his mercy and his grace didn't just like judge him, kill him, destroy him. He just went to Cain and says, Where's your brother? I mean, I, I, I can't even begin to, to uh, explain how much God loves us. And the more I read and the more I study the word, I, it, it just, it's just beginning to come out and, and it's beginning to show me that God loves us more than we can ever imagine. We can never truly understand how much we are loved. And so Cain, so God approaches Cain. He speaks to Cain. Cain says, I'm not, I'm not my brother's keeper. And there's a dialogue that takes place. God is talking to Cain and he's, yes, God did judge Cain, but God loved Cain enough to really not even want him to die because he put a mark on him, said anyone should see them would, would see that mark so they wouldn't want to kill him, basically. And so basically, I, I see that as God prolonging a man's life, even while he's being judged, prolonging his life to give him an opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me. Um, of course, it's, we don't see anything written that Cain actually ever asked for forgiveness. Um, so that's really unfortunate. Um, so when I think about that, there's no, that comes to no surprise to me that God would do what he did for us. He gave his life for us. He died for us. Uh, and we all know that. That's why we're here. That's why we're believers, because we, we know, we appreciate the fact that God was willing to die for us. Yes, yes. So, it's his essence. It's who he is. If you would, please, go to Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. Excuse me one minute while you guys are going. Sweetheart, how am I doing with the verses? <laughs> um, while you're there, just a, quick, just a quick funny story. The very first time I ever got a chance to speak, do a sermon, it was at my church, Church Ablaze. And uh, this, the, 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 uh, the message uh, was on legacy. Um, legacy. But my, my elder at the church asked me to do one on genealogy. I love genealogy. That's, that's my favorite thing, genealogy in the Bible. And uh, <clears throat> <laughs> so 
Um, my wife, uh, God bless her, uh, if anybody's going to give me criticism on what I do, no matter what it is, she's going to get it. But it's constructive. It's loving. Uh, it's just how I, I just have to make sure that I receive it with the same intent that what she gave it. It was, a, it was all for the good. But she said, sweetheart, could you do me a favor? Um, could you like like slow down when you get to the scriptures because pe- people were trying to get there and you just kept going. <laughs> so, so, so this is my, this is my second before a, a, a church. And so I, I, I'm, I'm going to honor my wife and hopefully better honor God this time. So, so Romans eight, five, uh, Romans five, verse eight and nine, but God demonstrates his own love toward us while we were Still sinners. Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I, I believe that God is always doing his, is going all out to save us from wrath. Save us from the second death, which none of us want to um, have to experience. All right, if you would, uh, go ahead and turn back to the book of Jonah, and we're going to start Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. All right, I'm going to read the um, entire um, chapter 3, but there's going to be some breaks in between this time. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. It took three days to just go through the city. Um, And Jonah began to enter the city, and on the first day's walk, he cried out and said, Yet forty days... And Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That's all the Bible tells us. So if he said more, I mean, we don't know, but it's possible. So I want to stop there for just a second. So the way that I think and the way that I process, when I saw that, I thought, wait. So Jonah 1.1, God said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah 3.1 says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. So to me, there's a very, very interesting difference between the two. He just sent Jonah and tell him to cry out. Jonah was like, you must be crazy. (laughs) I ain't crying out to these people. But this time he says, I'm going to tell you what to say. Tell them what I tell you to say. Um, that, that, is, that speaks of us today. When we have the Holy Spirit, God speaks through us. He speaks to us with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks through us. And God was going to do the same thing with Jonah when he sent him the second time, when he actually asked him, uh, commanded him to go the second time. So think of some other people in the Bible that God did this with. And I just actually came up with a, a couple um, people that I, I know that we're all aware of. Um, so I want you to uh, uh, go to, jo- uh, excuse me, um, 
Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Exodus 4, 10 through 12. And this is Moses. Exodus 4, 10 through 12. And it says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Yeah, this is one of the reasons that I am confident to stand before you, because I feel like God has taught me what to say to you. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing in your presence right now. Amen. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, similar situation. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, and then I'm going to skip to verse 9. Jeremiah 1, 5 through 7, and verse 9. He said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, this is Jeremiah, our God, Our Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am am a youth. I'm young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, for I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And verse 9, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. It's beautiful. We don't have to do it ourselves, church. God's done all the work, and he'll continue to do the work for you because we mess it up every time. I promise you. Okay, so what about us? Uh, If you turn to the book of of Luke, chapter 21, verse 14 through 15. Luke 21, 14 through 15. Jesus says, settle, therefore settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So when I, when, I, when I read that, I thought about Jonah and I thought about the Assyrian people and how evil uh, they were. And that when Jonah would speak to them, God was speaking to them and they would not be able to withstand or contradict what he said. I, it, just, it just blew me away. I was like, OK, God, OK. <laughs> so Jonah's words again. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Basically, what he was going to do is um, send another nation to destroy Nineveh. So uh, verse 5, still in Jonah 3, verse 5. This is beautiful. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth 
from the greatest of them to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. Now we're to the king. This is, this is, and the king is, was just as brutal as the rest of his people. He, he laid aside his robe, his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he, and, he, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout all of Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Wow. Yeah. Cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn, and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And then God saw that their works, they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster and he said he would would bring, that he would bring against him. So he turned from what he would bring against him, and he did not do it. I, this is radical. This is radical change. How do you go from being the most ruthless people on the planet? And I can imagine in their brutality, they were probably smiling while they did it. How do you go from that to... to getting on your knees, to sackcloth, to ashes, to obeying God and being one wanting to serve God. How do you, how do, you do that? Um, I think that only the anointing and the power of God can do that, people. We can't, we can't make that kind of change without the power of God that comes upon us. So they saw God when Jonah showed up. I'm going to point something out that um, disappointed me a little bit. When I was doing my studying, um, I was looking at what different scholars were saying about this, this particular story. And one of the things that came up from one of the scholars, which, which, again, I didn't like what he said because he was dismissing the power of God. What the scholar said is, is that because they, these people, the Ninevites, they, they, um, one of the guards they, they, they served was called Dagon. You probably know that from the Philistines and from when the ark when they had the ark, the whole story about them falling down. Um, but uh, so it was, they were Baal worshipers and they, were, they worshiped Dagon. Well, Dagon was an interesting looking God. Dagon was the torso of a man and the lower, body, lower part of a fish. So, so this particular scholar says that he believes that what helped these people turn it around was that they knew that that fish had spat him onto the shore. And because of that, they saw the image of their God and therefore they decided not to kill him and they decided to change. And I thought, okay, come on people. So what I thought about is it's almost 600 miles from where Jonah was spat out to Nineveh. So uh, who was there to, to witness that act? You know what I mean? So I don't think we think things through all the time, but I, I just thought that that was interesting. So, so when, when you're studying, consider, consider what, what these people are saying. But if you know who God is, you know how God acts. God is not going to use something like that to demonstrate his power. 
So anyway, that's uh, just something that I observed during the time when I was, was studying for this. If you would turn to cha- uh, Peter, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. Um, I think, actually, I probably should have saved you some time. It's a very short. It is not his will that any should perish, but all come to repentance. I mean, I've said that a hundred times, but it hit home when I was, when I was studying on this particular uh, story to get a greater understanding. But it is truly not his will that any of us should perish and, and all come to repentance. And this perishing is not a physical death. God is talking about the second death. He's talking, Christ does not want you to die the second death, which there is no return. Um, very, very, very significant. So um, now if you would turn to Psalm 86. Psalm 86, verse 15. And then we'll do Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. Psalm 86, 15. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Psalm says, But you, my Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, and you are very patient and full of faithful love. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of the things that we did wrong. He did, not, he did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. So the people of Nineveh were saved from God's destruction by his amazing grace. Just like you and I. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. What he was doing in the Old Testament, he still does today. The way he loved then, he loves, he loves now. Amen. Amen. Okay. So what happens when we're obedient? Think about it. Think about our actions. When, we, when we're obedient in words and actions, because it's not so much that we accept Christ and we say certain things. I can say a whole lot of things while I stand in your presence right now, but what matters more is what we do, how we live life. How do we do life? So that's, that's, that's really important. So when we do the things that God called us to do, change happens. People are saved. People repent. All these things take place. So, so the Ninevites repented. Um, they repented from what um, they had been doing, which I, I, it's just a miraculous thing to me the more I think about it. So they did that in order for God to be able to use them. So... There's always a backstory. God doesn't just save a people just, just so they can be saved and say, hey, I'm going to go to heaven. And that applies to us as well. He didn't just save you to go just so you could go to heaven because it's, it's really not about you. I'm just going to be real. It's not about you and I. It's not. But God had a plan for the Ninevites and the Assyrian people. Um, so <laughs> this is a really interesting story because 40 to 50 years later, God used the same people, the Assyrians, the Ninevites. He used the same people against his own people. (laughs) It's amazing how God works. Either you're going to be faithful or you're not. If you're not faithful, there's consequences. Um, um, I think sometimes we take that 
wrong, but if you think about, I mean, I'm kind of old school because I'm old. I'm 60. Um, but um, as parents, we tell our kids, you know, there's, there's consequences to your actions. And when those actions happen, the consequences come. And, and God is no different. Um, and I think if we could see God from the right light, I think um, we would appreciate what he's doing with us a whole lot better. So how did he use the Assyrian people? Well, you already have a hint. If you return to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, I tried to do my best not to extend out some of these scriptures. I tried to just get to the point so that I wouldn't be up here so long because there was a whole lot more that I wanted to talk about, uh, but uh, I'm just trying to restrain myself. So Isaiah 10, verse 5 and 6. Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Israel, which is, again, is the, the northern kingdom. He says of Assyria, he says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath, and I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets." So God has now inspired the Assyrians, the same people he sent Jonah to bring to repentance. Now he's inspired those people to come against the people of Israel, the northern kingdom. That, the, uh, that just blows me away. So if you would now turn to King, 2 Kings 17, 2 Kings 17, verse 5 and 6. This is going to relate to the ultimate consequences of the nation of Israel. Now the king of Assyria went throughout the land and went up to Samaria. That's the capital city of of, uh, the northern kingdom. And besieged it for three years. Yeah, They didn't typically just didn't go into a city and just go in hard like a blitzkrieg like the Germans did and just, just bomb, 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 bomb and take, 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 take. They would typically do things like cut off supply routes, cut off. Um, they, they would learn what the people needed to survive and they would kind of cut them off to the point to where they were starting to starve or whatever the case may be. They would do things like that. So they were besieging the city for three years. So in the ninth year of Hosea, uh, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria. So they carried the people out of Israel, and they never take everybody, but a majority of the people were taken out of the land and placed into uh, their their kingdom. And they placed them in Halah, Haber, the river of Gozan, and the cities of the Medes. We'll hear more about the Medes later on because we had the Medes and the Persian. That was an empire, two empires later. And this took place in 722 B.C. This, people, is why we have the lost tribes of Israel. They took the tribes and took them into their land, never to return. This is also how we get Samaritan people. You know, stories in the Bible about the Samaritan people, how the Israelites hated them. One of the reasons that they hated them was not simply because they were a mixed, mixed with the uh, Israelite blood and the blood of people of other kingdoms. But there was another reason, but you can learn that if you read the, the book of um, 
Ezra and Nehemiah, when you learn what happened when they were trying to build a wall in the temple, how those people treated them when they came back to the land. That was a reason for the hatred that the Israelites had. But I don't want to go any deeper into that. Um, but the, the Assyrians actually brought people back from the, their kingdom and implanted them into Israel. This is typically what they did. They took people out and they put new people in who were friendly to the empire. Okay, so Second Kings 17 again. I should have told you to, to mark that, so my, I, forgive me for that. Second Kings 17, now verse 24. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuta, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharavim, and settled them into the towns of Samaria in places of the Israelites, and they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its towns. So... At this point in time, the Israelites had gone so far, had been worshiping other gods, and God was tired of it. And that's why he allowed these people who were now faithful to God to go in and do what they did. So what did Jesus have to say about Nineveh? What did Jesus have to say? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. Matthew 12, 41. This one um, really, really, really made me think. It says that the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and condemn the people living today because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So <laughs> this, is pretty, this is pretty powerful because what Jesus is saying um, so that I, I, that's why I say I, I feel like they were truly saved because if they weren't, they wouldn't be judging the ungodly. So Jesus is speaking to the people of Israel in his day, 30, 29, 30, 32 AD, whatever time frame that was. And he's saying to them, these people who repented in Nineveh will be judging you. And uh, I'm sure that didn't go over very well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so keep in mind, this is 800 years after the Ninevites uh, repented when Jesus is saying these things. So there, there are a couple of things I want to point out that uh, my mind goes crazy with stuff like this. And my wife, she knows I'm pretty much a nerd. And she always says, why do you know this? Why is that, why is that even necessary? Why do I need to know that? Anyway, <laughs> so a couple of things. So the Ninevites will judge unbelievers at the great white, zone, uh, great white throne judgment. Just think about that for a minute. That is yet to come. That means that Jonah's obedience more than 2,700 years ago will impact the world even after the second coming of Christ. Think about that. So you and I are supposed to take, be a part of this judgment. We're, we're going to be a part of that judgment as well. So... Consider that when you, knowing that you have salvation, consider that, that your actions today will lead you to a place of judging those who never came to Christ. I mean, just, just think about that for a moment, how important you are to the kingdom as a whole. Um, it, it makes me want to be more accountable when I see something like that. 
it makes me want to do want more so do what God has called me to do. Right? So, so Jonah is important enough to be mentioned by Jesus. So that makes him important. Um, so here's something that also made, made me wonder. So Jonah is considered a minor prophet. Okay, think about that for a minute. He's a minor prophet. And um, minor meaning there's not a whole lot that is recorded that Jonah did, but you got other prophets that just you just you just read so much about them, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Um, they are not considered. They're considered major prophets. But Jonah is considered a minor prophet, but there's nothing minor about what Jonah eventually did. I just want to point that out. Um, but when you're given a second chance of life, we, life we, do, we are able to do great things. Jesus, What did Jesus say? Greater things than these? Um, he's not saying that we're greater than him, but he's saying that we can do more because we're, we're, we have a long life, long, salvation and long life. There's so much we can do with the time that we have on this earth. Okay? Amen. Um, so... This leads me to my, my, my final point, is that God wanted to show Jonah his heart is to save and not condemn. God's heart is to save, not condemn. Um, this, it gets interesting. We're going to go to Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to finish uh, uh, with Jonah chapter 4. So I'm, thinking, I'm just thinking for a minute. I'm sure God was blessed. God was pleased when the Ninevites repented, right? Um, again, keep in mind these people were not friends of God before that, nor of Israel. Um, but God always cared for their future, for, his, for their eternity. So God is probably just really pleased. I'm sure the angels in heaven rejoiced as well when this happened because um, souls were saved. Um, what about Jonah, though? <laughs> yeah. If God is pleased, I wonder, I wonder what, what Jonah was, was thinking. What was he feeling? Uh, <laughs> so let's read Jonah chapter 4. We're going to find out just how Jonah felt about these people repenting. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And he said to the Lord, Ah, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand. Well, apparently, Jonah didn't get it. He just didn't get it. Uh, you know, it, it just, to me, I tried to help him out a little bit, and I thought, well, okay, we have the Holy Spirit. Jonah didn't have the Holy Spirit the way that we have the Holy Spirit. So Jonah's flesh basically was basically uh, ruling over his body. He was basically acting out from his flesh. And he said, in his heart, probably, these people don't deserve that. They don't deserve your love. They don't deserve your mercy and your grace. So Jonah was really upset about that. 
which is part of the reason why I believe that he didn't want to go as well. It wasn't just the fear. I think he hated these people. I think he really deeply hated these people for what they had been doing to other human beings. And I get it. I get it. Verse 4. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? We don't get an answer from Jonah. But he goes on to say, so Jonah went out to the city, sat at the east side of the city. He made himself a shelter and sat under it in its shade till he might see what be- will become of the city. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. So I imagine Jonah, I imagine Jonah finding him a nice place. Appreciate the chair, by the way. I didn't, didn't expect to have a chair. Jonah, Jonah had his bag of popcorn. And his drink, he's going to watch the sun go down as it set in the west. And he was like waiting. I could see Jonah just sitting there. No, baby, I didn't plan this, by the way. Um, I could just see Jonah just sitting there waiting for hell, fire, and brimstone to rain down on that city and just destroy it. Because that's where his heart was. I don't know if this is the case, folks, but I'm just imagining this is what my mind does in situations like this. Why would he do that after God already told him, I'm not going to punish these people, but yet he's still waiting for something to happen? Um, but what did God do? God is always trying to teach us a lesson. Sometimes we just don't get it. So... Jonah's waiting for all hell to break loose on the Ninevite people. And God just kind of sets him up a little bit. So God, this is verse 6, prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade, be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So God was showing him compassion, even though he was, <laughs> his heart wasn't right. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered and died. And it happened that when the sun arose, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death on him for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Whew. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? This time Jonah answers and he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 souls who cannot discern between their left and their right and many livestock. So God is saying to him, dude, you're upset about that plant, but you don't care if 120,000 plus people and their their livestock die? (laughs) I mean, so there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a message. There's another message here. Human life and our eternity is more important than nature or anything else. And we live in a, we live in a world where human life is not valued. I'm just going to be real. We don't value human life. 
um, regardless of what, you, what people think, um, we put the wrong things as a priority in this world. Um, I'm gonna, I won't stay there. Um, so I'm not done with the Assyrian people. Uh, what you may not know, what I know some of you know for sure, is that um, 20 years after the Assyrians came and took the northern kingdom, took them into captivity, did the swap, the whole people swap thing, they came after Judah. Yeah, they came after Judah uh, during the reign of King Hezekiah. Um, and this was about 701 B.C., so it was about 21 years later. Um, and to shorten the story, God sent one angel, and that angel killed 185,000 of those Assyrians because they were claiming that God sent them to destroy Judah, but God didn't send them to destroy Judah. Judah. So yes, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians, and that king who sent those people eventually was murdered by his own people when he went back to the capital city, which I think is very interesting. Uh, so they were about 115 years too early because the, the people in Judah didn't um, get taken by the Babylonians until 586 uh, B.C. Um, but in the end, Nineveh was destroyed, unfortunately, by the Babylonians, and this took place in 612 B.C. And I, and I didn't say it earlier. If you guys want to know more about um, the story where the 185,000 Assyrians were, were uh, destroyed by one angel, that can be found in 2 Kings 19. 2 Kings 19. It's, it's a pretty interesting story of how the, the uh, uh, Assyrian king, he was talking a lot of smack, uh, but uh, they wouldn't back down. I love it. It's, it's a good story. You should check it out. Um, and as far as the Babylonians being de- uh, destroying the Ninevites, that could be found in the book of Nahum. Nahum. And that's uh, Nahum 2 and 3. So conclusion... Um, God's love for the Ninevites was greater than Jonah's hatred for the Ninevites. Okay, so what does God want to want? I feel like what God wanted me to see and what he wants you to see in this story. It's not about the miracle of Jonah being swallowed by a whale and living to tell about it. Uh -uh. It's what I've been saying all along is God's love for us, his mercy and his grace, even for the worst of us. Um, is without limits. And he proved it. He's proven it time and time again. Yeah. So the book of Jonah is, is, is all about the nature of, of, of our God. He wants us to see who he is, his character. So scenario, quick scenario. Imagine the city of Tehran. You know how the, the people in, in Iran hate the, the, uh, the people of Israel. Imagine that the, the, the city of Tehran, that everybody in the city turns to Christ, okay? Imagine that happening today, and then imagine the people of Israel being pissed off about it. I mean, what? You know, I still want these people to die. No, they're your friend now. You know, this is kind of the, the kind of thing that God is showing us in this story. But I do want to add this, you know, which is sad to me, is Jonah, it doesn't tell us um, what had happened to Jonah? He's mentioned somewhere else in, in King, Second Kings or somewhere about what he did. Uh, and of course, Jesus talked about him, but we never hear Jonah really coming to his senses. 
So I like to say Jonah was a one-hit wonder. He had one job. His one job was to tell these people, if they don't turn their lives around, that they're going to be destroyed. But look how many people got saved because of his one act, the one thing that he was called to do. And there's only one other person that comes to mind um, is John, John the Baptist. He had one job, <laughs> and he did his job. And we know what happened to him, which, which was terrible, but we know we're going to see him again one day. Um, amen? Okay. So I do I want to say that um, you and I are here. Um, we're here to make disciples. I think Jesus came. He's always sending us. He's saying, go, go. He's telling you and I to go. So, yeah, not all of us are asked to go to another country or to out of the state or wherever to preach the gospel or to minister to people. Um, it could be going to work. It could be going to work. It could be going to the store. God might tell you to, to bless somebody. But he's, we're always being told to go. But he did it for us. What he did for them, I'm talking about the Ninevites, he did, he did for us. Do we deserve it? Do we deserve his mercy and his grace? No, we don't. But he gave it to us as well. So I have some questions before I end. Um, and I know by now you know the answer to this question. The first question is, did God save Jonah for Jonah's sake or for the people of Nineveh? He saved, he saved Jonah's life for the sake of the people of Nineveh. So what did God save you for? What did he save you to do? What did he save you to do? So ask him. Please ask him. Ask him every day. What do you want me to do, Lord? And God speaks to us in different ways. And when he answers you, make sure you do it the first time. <laughs> all right let's pray heavenly father lord we just thank you we thank you lord god for the revelation that you've given us we are thankful lord god that you are a god who is full of of mercy full of grace full of love that you're long-suffering that you have compassion for us lord god we are thankful that there's no end to that love to that compassion, to that mercy, and to that grace, Lord God. So I pray right now, Lord God, that everyone that's here today, every single person that is here today, Lord God, I pray that you will continue to give them your love, that you will overflow them with all the love, the mercy, and grace that they need. I pray that you will empower them, Lord God, to carry out whatever you have called each of them to do. I pray that each of them will have a desire, Lord God, a desire to speak to you daily, whether it's early in the morning, middle of the day, or in the evening or afternoon, whatever, Lord God, that they will spend time with you, get into your word, Lord God, and get to see who you really are. Because we need to be equipped in the world that we live in. We need to be fully equipped, Lord God, in order to do the things that you've called us to do. So I ask that you bless them. And I ask that you bless, bless this church, bless church of tomorrow, bless them in every way, Lord God, because I, I know that they are doing the things that you call them to do. Mighty works are yet to come, 
but they will do them because you've given them all that they need. And I give you all praise and all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. That's good stuff, my nerd brother. We, we had a journey today, didn't we? <laughs> Praise God. Such great stuff. You know, I can't help but be reminded of Evan Roberts and the Welsh revival of 1904-1905. I had to dig to find out what happened to him later mm-hmm. because he was a young man in his 20s when he spearheaded that revival. And after doing digging, I found out that the rest of his life he spent in prayer. Wow. And that every revival on planet Earth from 1905 to 1973, 4, somewhere along there, about 70 years, every revival on Earth was birthed in the Welch Revival, 1904-1905. That shows you what the power of one seed is, seed of a person. Amen. Uh, which is phenomenal. And that, well, there's so many things you brought out there. It's like, good gosh, man, you know, <laughs> and keep bringing out. Uh, I had another one I brought out, but I, I, I don't know if I ought to share it or not. But Dragon <laughs> must have been a trans mermaid. <laughs> and he was in the process of transitioning. Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, okay. that's correct. <laughs> well, I. You see, you missed that one. He was transitioning, had, God, and but God had nothing to do with that. I just want to point had, that out. I as had well. to find one thing you didn't get. <laughs> Bless you. Thank okay, you. everybody. Praise God. Give him a big hand clap for, for Jesus in him. Praise God. Praise the Lord. We're going to have a, a little uh, pr- short presentation here on our missions projects. These are people who live in Pakistan. And Pakistan, of course, is uh, a heavy uh, country uh, in um, Islam. And it's also had a lot of physical things happen. The east side of Pakistan has been flooded. And there's still a lot of people that are there that um, are going through lack of food, lack of water, lack of clothing, all those kinds of things. Uh, One of the two ministries in Pakistan that we support is in eastern Pakistan. And so they've really had some tough times. We also picked up another ministry in Pakistan last month, just for the month, to help them with special needs, who we've been affiliated with for several years. But uh, they, they, he showed me some pictures that are really horrible. Yeah. So uh, if you want to plant a seed in missionaries, you're welcome to do that today. We'll put every bit of it and throw some extra in. It's, that's what we've been doing to, to reach these people. If you want to plant a seed, Brother Rodney, that's going to be great too. Uh, we have an opportunity to do some things, just like you mentioned, that God has placed us on this earth for a purpose. Purpose. And there's nothing like living the very purpose of God. That is so enlightening to realize you have a purpose in your plan, in plan in your life from heaven. Not just for some little thing here or some little thing there. Those things are there too. <clears throat> but God has anointed you, each person, 
Remember, there's no such thing as clergy and laity. Everybody's clergy. Okay? Yep. This is yes. This is no. This is oh. <laughs> Praise God. You have a purpose. I want to share with you just quickly about, uh, I would encourage you to, to give today. You know, Jesus always showed us that it wasn't how many dollars you put in the offering bucket. It's what you had available to do. What were you capable of doing? And right now, you turn on the news, and what do you hear? One key word. Inflation! 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 And everybody has a different thought on it. And a lot of people are seriously hurting because of inflation, because things are higher. How many of you know that? <clears throat> Does God show you a little thing sometimes to bring a big meaning? I think he does. Uh, I didn't go to Las Vegas last weekend to preach at Pastor Jerry's church. Uh, we put it off a couple of months. So I went down to Texas to see my brother and his wife for a couple of days, came back home, had one night, went to Branson, and I saw the Oak Ridge boys. Coming back, things happened to me. They may have been small, but they were so meaningful to me. The last dinner I had in and Bransom was at um, uh, Bass Pro, their, their restaurant. I wanted some seafood. And I got ready to pay, and the waiter said, uh, Sir, those ladies that just walked out of here a while ago, they bought your meal. I've never had a lady buy my meal that I can remember. <laughs> Even if it took several of them to do it. And then I stopped in Tulsa um, at a... Um, Arby's. No, no, it wasn't. Excuse me. It was a Slotsky's to have, to have lunch. And uh, I had my Marine Corps, one of my Marine Corps shirts on, and the lady says, oh, you're a Marine? I said, well, yeah, I was, you know. And she goes, uh, well, I'm going to give you that discount, first responder discount. And instead of paying $15, I paid 7 I mean, that's pretty cool. Now, you know, I'm, maybe $8 doesn't make or break you, but it's a point. It's something there. It's kind of like what you were preaching today. There's all kinds of stuff there. If we'll unravel it and let it come out at us, let the Holy Ghost say, hmm, look at that, look at that, you know? And I thought, that's the way that we live financially. We live above the circumstances. We live above the world system. We live above it because the world system's not our source. God is our source. When you bring the tithes into the storehouse, as the Bible says, then you're putting investment into the kingdom, and the kingdom will carry you. I'm going to say that one again. You're putting investment into the kingdom, and the kingdom will carry you. And your storehouse, the local storehouse that you're part of, is the part of the kingdom that you, you place that in. And there are other opportunities for you, too. So this just shows us that inflation, I, I hurt for other people. I don't hurt for me. I hurt for other people. Because they're not living by kingdom principles. They're living by worldly principles. And we live by kingdom principles. And the kingdom will carry you through. Amen? Amen. Hey, praise God. A couple of quick announcements. Did I tell you I'm glad to see you again? I just can't... Amen. Uh, Wednesday, October the 5th, now it's not this week, that's the following week, we're going to go through a new 10-week uh, 
uh, Wednesday night meeting at 7 o'clock. It's going to be really, really good. I'll tell you more about it next week. But we're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines, but not just teaching on the disciplines. We're going to, why? Why do we have spiritual disciplines? Why do we certain things that build us in our faith, that build us in our walk, that build us and bring recognition to Jesus Christ? We're going to look at that from a, a if you would, a broader perspective on why, why we pray, why we worship, why we read the Word, why we do things like solitude. What's that? Yeah, well, that's chilling out with Jesus. That's what it is, okay? We're going to go on some things like that. I think you'll really find it exciting and more than enjoyable. Also, on October the 8th, that's Saturday, two Saturdays away, okay? October starts on a Saturday, the first, and the second Saturday, pastors Corey and Rochelle Smithy from North Elevation Church in Mansfield, Texas. Uh, you met them last year. Those of you who were here last year have met them. They're going to do a Saturday morning. We're going to have a real good time on that 9 o'clock breakfast, okay? And then at 10 o'clock, we're going to come back in here and do a worship song or two. And then we're going to break out, and the ladies are going to stay in here, and the men are going to go down the hall. And we're going to have an hour with each of those pastors, women on women and men on men. So that will be an awesome day. And you're invited to bring guests from other churches. We won't try to steal them. They, they're placed in the other bodies as God has chosen them. But some of them need to wake up, you know. So anyway, uh, but you're welcome to bring anybody that you'd like to bring. We'll have a little sign-up sheet. Do we have one now? Okay, I thought we did. You, you're always ahead of me. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back, so sign up for October the 8th on Saturday so we'll know how many meals to prepare. If you don't sign the sheet, don't come until 10 o'clock. Okay? So, I think Brad prays for two days. How many people are going to have, Lord? I know how many is on the sheet, but how many going to really have? And uh, he's been too incredibly close the last two times, so anyway. Uh, and then uh, Saturday, excuse me, Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Corey will be sharing with us too. So uh, we've had a real opportunity to hear some other people. How did Kelly do last week? Yeah. Hallelujah. So uh, I guess you'll have him back, Kelly. And Pastor Ronnie and Kresha, you'll be back, won't you? Yeah. You spend another three weeks study on something else and bring it back to us. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. Stand with me if you would, please. Remember, there's uh, offering envelopes on the back table and as well as uh, in the little uh, right there with the collection box. Uh, you're more than willing to uh, put your name and address on there. We do keep record of that So for you. Praise God. What have I forgot? Kelly's much better at this than I am. Of course, I'm always sitting there going. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your, everything you are doing in church of tomorrow. That means every person here. Jesus, you're the one that counts, and we get to bring the glory to you. We thank you that we get to be co-laborers with you. We thank you that, Jesus, you've chosen us as a peculiar people set aside to do the works that you did and even greater works. 
Thank you for the understanding and the enlightenment of uh, the book of Jonah today as our brother brought that forth. So many things there. It, it makes us all marvel at the depth of your word that layer after layer, we, as we keep peeling that off, there's always more there. And so many uh, examples that agree with the life and story of Jesus Christ who gave himself for people to have life and have it eternally. Even as one man told me years and years and years ago, he said, life is so short, eternity is so long. I thank you, Father God, that all of us have that, if you would, engraved in our hearts today, that there's people that need to be touched, people that need a hand, uh, somebody to give them a word, somebody to give them a hug, somebody to slip them 20 bucks or whatever the situation may be. God, we're called of you to be the light and the salt. And we thank you that you've chosen us to be that. And we thank you that you've anointed us to be that. And we thank you that you tell us what to say once we get into that situation. It always comes to us. And we thank you, Father, that by your Spirit, it's not might or power, but it's by you. And everything is done and accomplished. All the glory is yours. All the fun is ours. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. We speak Jesus on the streets. We speak Jesus everywhere we go. And we bless you for being able to do that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. See you next time.